the Yak Babies. Sex, presidents, and sometimes books. Welcome to Yak Babies, only podcast on the internet sponsored by Crisis Butter. Grease up when you're breaking down. My name's Aaron. Here are my personal pals, Dave. Morning, boys. Yeah, it's definitely not morning. We have Brick. <laughs> Afternoon. <laughs> we have Old Mater Nico. Hello. <laughs> Speaking of Old Mater Nico, this episode is uh, part of a regular series where we turn to Nico for hot takes. Nico is the hot take master in this podcast. We re- learned that the, the rest of us don't actually know how to formulate hot takes. And so he's <laughs> sort of tutoring us in this skill. So we come back with some more. So we're to hear... Yeah what Nico's hot takes are and then respond to them and maybe learn to craft our own hot takes as a result too. Yeah. Maybe think, think about hot takes and maybe at the end, (laughs) maybe somebody will have just one. You're going to give us a tutorial on how to have them. (laughs) I guess. Yeah. So this, these are taken from various things. They are loosely organized in the amount to which I disagree with them. So the one, (laughs) the one at the end is, is, what I what I disagree with the most. All right, let's start with uh, a lot of them are from Lee Child. I watched the Lee Child basically masterclass, which is oh, oh right, yes, these are from masterclass. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so, well, I mean, some of them are. Some of them are from books about writing. One of them is just from okay. a, a novel I read that I uh, think is weird. All right, so Lee Child. I mean, so so to to give Lee Child credit, these are specifically for commercial fiction. So he is specifically, he is right. not. He's just he's trying a Jack to Reacher sell books. guy. Yeah, he's a Jack Reacher guy. I think he's a terrible writer. But like listening to him is like, all right, fair enough. Like you know what you're doing. This sure. is intentional. Like your Jack right. Reacher shit is intentional. All right, so let's try. How about plausibility is more more important than accuracy in research? So if you want to have, you know, if you don't know what London looks like or smells like or feels like but you know what it feels like to an audience of american readers then that is more important than actually being authentic about what it what it feels or yeah or i mostly agree with that yeah like we discussed that in our historical fiction conversation a couple episodes ago where it's like yeah. if you get close enough that's right. probably pretty good for most people especially if it's not masquerading as academic work right if you're trying to pass this off as scholarship then you have a problem but if you're just doing a novel well you know we don't expect novels to be a completely historically accurate text yeah 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 i think i think largely it's kind of depends on like what is the point of the story that you're telling and if the point is something that needs the the research like it's if it's like, for instance, if you're writing about London and it's specifically about something, the way that London is or whatever, how it affects characters, then, yeah, your research should be accurate. <laughs> but if you're just doing yeah. like having a scene there and you don't need to get bogged down in 10 pages of like, you know, because every time that you drive the reader's attention to something, it has to have a point, I feel like. So right. If, and yeah. You also think the, the reader, like if you're doing research just to avoid the one pedantic nerd who's like, actually, in 1937, they only had this kind of pistol. It's like that person can right. go die. Like, right. <laughs> but if it's like if your story is set in 1815 has cars, that's a bigger problem. Right. That's, right. You know, yeah. You're mostly accurate. Here's a here's a medium spicy one. Uh, popular okay. fiction is hard. This is still Lee Child. Popular fiction is harder to write because it has to satisfy people who don't like most books. Uh, and it has to satisfy more readers. 
this is similar to his contention that uh, making a Ford is harder than making a Rolls Royce because you have a bigger budget to create the Rolls Royce and your customers are basically fancy idiots. <laughs> the Ford has to be reliable, approachable, affordable. It has a bunch of limitations because it has to appeal to the biggest section of the population. What do you guys think about that? It's popular fiction, like a like a Camry and literary fiction is like a Rolls Royce. <laughs> I don't. I do. I disagree with both the metaphor and the assertion. <laughs> like, I think they're both wrong. It's the wrong metaphor, and also he's wrong about popular fiction being harder to write than literary fiction. <laughs> like that's that depend that assumes so much about the audience's response to what the author is doing, and, and totally leaves out the circumstantial things that make a text popular like that. Right? It's it's not all the authors control that makes that book successful right it's like whims right. and things you can't yeah. control for and you just get lucky like that's part of it too and that that's such a like author-centric egocentric approach that that doesn't work for me at all <laughs> yeah <laughs> spicy glasses <laughs> what about you guys i think that's a dumb it's a dumb metaphor i i, I there, there might be there might be a degree of truth that it's harder to be successful, but I'm with I'm with Aaron. I think that's mm. as much luck as, as anything else. You know, I think <laughs> those are very spicy glasses. <laughs> Sorry, harder to be successful than literary writers, or harder to be successful? Well, I think the target's bigger, right? Like, I think it's easier genre of writers. It's easier to get modest to small print run of your literary novel that doesn't really go anywhere. It gets passed around in enough circles to make its money back and get you 5,000 advance on your next book or whatever than it is to be Stephen King, you know, but that doesn't, that's not because it's not because of what you just described. <laughs> I think it's just, it's a matter of volume. Right? <laughs> yeah. Literary fiction success and right. fiction also depends on luck too, right? That's, that's yeah. part of the factor as well as like what, you know, one, slush pal reader happens to latch onto for whatever reason that gets sent to the editor's desk if that's just like it's, yeah it's right. circumstances and whims yeah sorry he he also said it's readers don't he said it's readers don't like books as much yeah so like the ask, readers ask of those people whether might only read jack reacher books yeah but they think that they're fucking crazy about books it's because they just read yeah. the plot yeah totally that's my hot take yeah. Well, so so I think I think it does. I think there is an interesting point there, though. Like I I th I agree that he is wrong, but I think it's also like it depends what how good right. the book is, you know. So like, if a really good literary book is, I think obviously harder to write than a really good commercial fiction book. Uh, I think it just takes more talent and and less kind of formula. But I think a a like a mediocre literary book, I don't think it take. I think it might be easier to write one of those because it's just kind of like whatever. And if if there's not, you know, it, one of one of those books like Brick was talking about that's going to be sold sells five thousand copies mostly to you know on by word of, or by right. you know social media and then is forgotten about in two years. I also think that that is more disappointing than the equivalent quality of a commercial fiction book because 
because of right. your expectations going in. Like you, you don't expect to have your world rocked by a by a mid level commercial fiction book, but I mean, you might for a mid level literary book. If you're like if totally you're totally delusional, <laughs> you might. I don't think any of us do. I think you have higher expectations for a for a literary novel. Yeah, I, I do, mean, generally. so. Yeah, I th- like I said, I think there's a degree of like it might be harder to find purchase, right? And and to get because that's a a bigger market, that's a dominated market. Yeah. The expectations for success in in volume are way higher than in the other things, but it's not, you know, the whole car thing. It's it's a that's a weird metaphor that doesn't fit. Yeah, I think it does. Insane. I think it does fit in a in another way though that uh, <clears throat> that it's not necessarily harder to to write a commercial fiction book but like you are kind of mass producing them like he says he says over and over that he doesn't change he doesn't want to to uh change his jack reacher because it's got to be like one of the things that he wants is for somebody to to be able to pick up any book in the series and 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 like read it without any prior knowledge so like there are functional reasons that he does not want any character progression or anything like that Sure, sure. <laughs> which is, uh, which I think you know, obviously, makes the books more kind of cookie cutter. Yeah, right. Nico, um, <laughs> I think I have to question your. So you said you, if you take a mid list literary novel and a mid list genre novel, you expect more from the literary novel. Like, what do you mean by that? Uh, like what kind of expectations are you talking about? Cause your whole thing is that most literary fiction sucks because you know, it's plotless. Whereas yeah. genre fiction well, is going to be well. satisfying most of the time because at least there's story. So like what, what are yeah. we, what are we comparing there? Well, so I would say like a, it, I don't mean like a mid, mid list i would say like mid quality but that's like you never really know going into it whether what the quality of the book is going to be for you you know it's always subjective experience so Mm. it's like when i come out the other side and i rate a uh a literary novel three stars say that's that's like pretty pretty disappointing whereas like if i go like read a mystery and it's three stars it's like yeah you know, I'm not I'm not as disappointed in the same way, I guess, because it still kind of mostly does what it set out sets out to. Like the ambition is different for a literary novel versus a Yeah, just genre the novel? expectations. It's like if you go into a blockbuster movie and the story sucks, but there's still some action sequences, it's like, nah, eh, all right. Whereas if you go into like what you think is gonna be like the Oscar best picture of the year and it turns out to bore your absolute like boots off then that to me is is more disappointing but don't you kind of expect that from literary fiction yeah i mean i guess i think it happens more often but like i don't read books that i know i'm gonna hate (laughs) you know like i'm always i'm always i want to like the books yeah wearing these glasses is like doing a podcast wearing our virtual boy I got to get my virtual boy fixed and we can have a party next time we do a next time we do a <laughs> about ruining our necks. <laughs> we don't want to go to the chiropractor afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. I keep it going. Let's see. How about, have you guys ever read Geek Love? No. What? Geek Love Geek? by Catherine Dunn. It was Geek. Oh, Geek Love. Yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, I've not read it, but I, I know of it. It's about a a, a carnival, a, a sideshow carnival, uh, or a, kind of an independent circus. And I think it was written in the 80s. And yeah. it's told by this albino dwarf who is one of the – and it it's like the family – does all these experiments on them to to like breed freaks basically and then one of them is the is kind of the antagonist of the novel which is who is this guy uh this lobster he's kind of based on lobster boy who was a real freak in the in the circus and so he doesn't have fingers he just has like hands with two kind of appendages and he convinces people over the course of the novel, he starts this cult and starts convincing people to cut off parts of their body. And that's really it. That's it. That's the whole book. <laughs> and the, and the, the narrator just kind of watches it happen. And he gets, like, more and more popular and, like, more and more people are mutilating themselves. And then that's it. So the, the hot take that I took from that is that a, a novel doesn't always need a protagonist because hmm. there's no – there's no real protagonist in that novel. There's only the bad guy who just does, and the the narrator kind of just watches him do it. Yeah, that's interesting because it's different from like an anti-hero where you're yeah. like watching someone that you're rooting against, kind of, but also sympathize with. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other examples of that. Yeah, that's it's a book that gets recommended a lot. I remember there was mm-hmm. a girl I was in love with in high school who recommended I read that. I never did. Yeah. But maybe I should have. Maybe she would have loved me too if I had. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah it's a tough read because it's just like a bunch of shit happens. Right. And that's it. And right. they just watch this guy just destroy their circus because nobody right. does anything to stop him. Do you guys – okay, so do you guys think that a novel needs somebody who is going to oppose that uh, that antagonist or – yeah, I don't know. I mean, I haven't read it, so I guess I couldn't say. But I feel like in that situation, it seems like the protagonist is you, the reader. Like you are – yeah, your morality or your point of view becomes the stand-in for the protagonist, right? So usually the protagonist would be sort of your like character that you attach your morality to. And so you hope they succeed because you align with them politically or, or socially or whatever. So in the absence of that, then you do it yourself as the reader then you like you are resisting the text uh, even though you're not actually in it uh your resistance becomes the, the yeah. protagonist of the novel and you have to just read through and see what happens you just have no power yeah. yeah i like that take do you think it it cheapens it when it's kind of so obviously the morality of it like nobody is really gonna be like yeah this guy should start a cult and convince people to cut off all their arms and legs <laughs> you know what i mean right is it yeah. when it's like kind of just a moral shock? Is that does that make it less of that kind of feeling of you being the protagonist, or what do you think? I don't know, maybe not less, but I, I guess I wonder about I'm trying to think of like there was that book by Joshua Ferris, and then we came to the end where it's a collective, uh, like group protagonist, right? Okay, and it's not quite the same thing, but I I guess I'd wonder in a situation like that, you know, a more nuanced if you could find a tone of ambiguity somehow with the morals of the different antagonists and protagonist characters that could be interesting yeah but maybe the point if the point is to to have a point of view and to argue against something specifically 
as it sounds like that's what Geek Club is kind of doing, that probably seems okay yeah. to me. I'm not sure yeah. it's better or worse. Um, it's maybe different. Yeah. I've got one one last spicy one, and then uh, and then okay. you guys can reveal the hot takes that you've been working on. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. So this is from kind of an, a, a, a book called How to Write a Damn Good Novel that is uh, – not great. It's, it was written a while ago. I got saw it recommended by somebody. One of the but one of the craziest things that it recommends, which I found that a lot of people agree with this uh, this thing, which is even weirder that it's a that it's like a prescriptive piece of advice. So here it is: a novel can have only one premise, which is a result of the action on the characters. <laughs> for example, family loyalty leads to a life of crime is the premise of The Godfather. And that's the only premise. <laughs> and and uh, so he was arguing that you should write your novel like you would write a, a paper. And like it should – all of the things that happen should be like arguments in your paper that prove your point. And the point of The Godfather is family loyalty leads to a life of crime. Disagree. Yeah, that one sucks. What do you guys think? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty bad. Yeah, but we could also, yeah, we could sit down right now and come up with six of them for yep. The Godfather. It, it, you know, like, that, that's a... Yeah. In any good book, it feels like it should have more than one. That's what people write English papers about. It's like different interpretations. Yeah, I mean, that's the... the <laughs> Yeah. idea of literary criticism is that you have to think about a text and try to figure out what it means to you. Yeah. I also don't, that that to me sounds more like elevator pitching for a screenplay, right? Like yeah. I can see the wisdom of, can you reduce or, or not reduce, but condense your, the, the gimmick of your story to one sentence or something like that. Right. Like, you know, the classic overused Hollywood one is die hard on a blank. Right. So like pitch your movie, Die hard on a yacht, die hard on an elevator, die hard on whatever. So I can see some value in that and be able to like, so really this is what this text is trying to do is this. Right. Uh, but that's also just like a shorthand to get hopefully right. to somewhere else. Yeah. And that's also a, a descriptive process. So it's like after you're yeah, done right, writing right. the book, then you go back and you pull out a premise or a you know thing or a elevator pitch based on what you've already done but he's recommending you come up with the premise first and then you build your novel like you like so each each thing that happens should be a fictive argument that supports it sounds like someone thesis, trying to sell a dumb class which i think is yeah. completely fucking batshit trying to, and trying to sell a terrible yeah. yeah yeah i mean i think that that is yeah yeah i don't i feel like there's no problem starting with a premise like that but then allow yourself flexibility within that like not everything you write subsequently has to be right. an aid of that yeah. one you know six word premise or you know whatever you come up with it's yeah absurd yeah yeah this is... what's the singular premise of under the volcano <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> take, take a shot so you can go up with it. uh family loyalty leads to a life of crime <laughs> uh yeah, those leads to a dead dog in a ditch yeah <laughs> there you go yeah, that one is just it just kind of breaks my brain a little bit. And this yeah, this whole this, he also says like you shouldn't have any counter arguments because like why would you why would you bring up something that doesn't support your point? And it's like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's dumb as hell. 
This is really bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. So now you guys get to uh, bring out your hot takes. Any anything? Dave said he wanted to go first. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had a Nico certified hot take last time out with my Alice Monroe, so I'm gonna ride high on that for a while until you get one. (laughs) Bet you didn't save it. <laughs> You're still drafting off of the Alice Monroe one. Yeah, until you guys match me. Yeah, at one. Yeah, that that. Yeah, and that hot take was that Alice Monroe is overrated and overrated. Yeah, I think you also said she's a bad person. <laughs> yeah, horrible human being. Too old. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, um, since nobody has a hot take, that means ooh, I, 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 have to do I, I, this I got again. something. Oh, I got something. Okay. Okay. It's not. I don't know if it's a hot take necessarily, but like uh, it's tied to what we we're talking about before we started recording. We we're talking about the Oscars and the the Best Picture nominees, and that you know we were talking about Banshees of Inisherin and how it's not exactly a a flashy text, and it's not likely to. It wasn't likely to win because it doesn't seem to have the thing that would would get Academy Builders' attention, right? And I was explaining how you know this year's winner, Everything Everywhere All at Once, is a phenomenon. It you know played in theaters for a long fucking time it somehow amassed this like massive audience of uh, like really strong devotees people who love that movie and think it's like a you know one of their best movies they've ever seen and last year coda won best picture which didn't have the same kind of you know year-long support but did sort of kind of have an underground or um underdog story of a a very small somewhat shoddily made indie movie i guess i would argue that had a Again, a sort of quote-unquote positive message. And it, it rode that to a Best Picture Oscar, uh, along with the Best Adapted Screenplay, because it's a remake of a French movie. Right. And the, uh, there's been this, like... I, I've noticed this change, uh, at least in like sort of film audiences, and kind of like just like popular fandom, too, is that something has to have a big... Like, a big swing helps, right? A, a big swing uh, matters to audiences more and more, I think, than, like... A smaller swing, I guess, right? Like Banshees of Inisherin is not exactly a big swing. It's a small story. It's pretty sad. Right. It's funny, but it's not it's nothing I think people liked it, but it wasn't like it was like this overwhelming phenomenon, right? Whereas like Avatar, Top Gun, everything ever all once, big swings. Fieldman's, uh the Spielberg movie, another movie that's like pretty small, right? It doesn't take a big swing. It's a good movie, I think. But didn't the get the same kind of attention. Yeah, I liked it a lot. But I think that didn't get the kind of attention because it doesn't have that same like there's no there's no compelling angle so that advice you just read the sort of like the one premise. I disagree with it, but there's something to the idea of like the hook, right? The sort of thing that sort of gets you into it is the hook for everything everywhere all at once is wacky humor and like uplifting message. Right. And the hook for Coda is inclusion of deaf people and sort of like sign language users in, in popular culture compelling hooks for sure but really just that, and the daniels right? the, yeah the daniels said that the elevator pitch of everything everywhere was let's put my mom in the matrix yeah right exactly and that's fine like the, i think the, the, those hooks are great or they're definitely they obviously work to some extent right but i'm not sure the hook does much for me anymore <laughs> i don't know that yeah. hook, a hook i find less compelling especially if once you get past the hook there's not much else there right not exactly hot but that's kind of what i was working on the background that's what you'd say about everything everywhere is once you get past the hook there's not much there 
that's what I felt, but that's just my take on that movie. I wasn't a huge okay. fan of it. Yeah, I thought it was fine. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I was excited to watch it because it got all hyped up. But Yeah. Yeah. And I think that part of that, like, hype is is tied to, like, the... Oh, it's I can talk about this. There's something to talk about, right? And there's especially it's also different. It felt different than a lot of movies do, which mm-hmm. is good. And people respond to that. You know, whereas Beaches does not feel different. Beaches feels yeah like a like a movie. It feels like an adult movie. So I don't know. This means like a saturation thing. You know, media saturation, culture saturation, where there's so much that mm-hmm. like hits that you know same level. You know, any number of Netflix produced original films that are the exact same plot, the exact same actors, exact same look. It kind of glosses over when as soon as something rises above that muck, then it becomes beloved. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. That's my hottest take. I'm not good at these. <laughs> okay. That was pretty good. Yeah. I remove the hot take glasses before I die. <laughs> Retinas are steaming. <laughs> I kind of felt the same way about everything everywhere. I thought it was a really good script, good directing, good like, a bunch of you know interesting things i thought the kind of the the basic kind of place where they landed which was like michelle yo is should have just not done anything and and waymond would have worked it all out with the irs <laughs> at the end it's like all you really have to do is just be nice and like bake the irs lady cookies and everything's gonna work out it's like right. okay that didn't right. hit hit me very hard in the end yeah yeah i think that there's some storytelling problems not third act especially those guys went to emerson uh when we were there and when i taught there and when i learned that i was like oh that explains everything about that movie like that's a <laughs> emerson undergrad movie like across the board like everything about mm-hmm. it the look of it the humor of it the, even the, like the, sort of the story resolution was like this is what emerson students are are doing for sure yeah for yeah. good and for bad i would say yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. all right a little brick any hot takes a hot take Last time I tried, I feel miserably. Brings it past us. Your last hot take was Donald Trump is bad. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the best I got. Do you guys think that he'll actually get arrested on Tuesday? I fucking hope so. I don't. I don't no, believe I don't. anything until until it happens. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to get excited about that, but man, just just yeah. but possibilities sure. could be fun. Yeah, be great. Be good to see. Yeah. Uh, the timestamps this episode for sure. So we'll know in the future. When you're listening to this, listeners, you'll know what happened. You'll know if we yeah. were treated to a day-long street party and rewatching the footage of the perp walk. Or if it was just one more <laughs> disappointment in a string of disappointments. <laughs> well, uh, uh, listeners, give us your hot takes then. <laughs> Find us on Twitter and, and hot take at us. String of disappointments. Yeah, uh, Yak Babies, and uh, you can email us those hot takes at yakbabiespodcast at gmail.com. Let's hear them. Obviously, three of us are not good at it. Nico's the master, but we want to hear yours, and we'll respond to them like <laughs> we do with Nico's. And then, uh, if you want more of this action, go to patreon.com slash yakbabies, where you can get our bonus podcast for $1 a month. That's all we're asking. Uh, you can get tons of material there. There's years and years of back archive, Broda Pro episodes, games, just like weird off-script moments. Off script, as if there is ever a script, but you get the idea. Things we don't want to include in the main feed because they're, you know, 
a bit too personal in a variety of ways. Uh, but if you pay us a dollar, you can get access to all our stuff. That's what we're all asking. So go check it out there. And then our merch at tinyurl.com slash yakbabies. We have posters, mugs, t-shirts, underwear, toothbrushes probably. I don't know. There's tons of stuff there that have brick designs in them. Brick's uh, a good graphic designer and lots of funny jokes have made their way onto those shirts and stuff. So check them out. Until then, Yak Babies, yakking off. The Yak Babies would like to thank all the loyal listeners and especially their patrons, both past and present, including Michael, Bonnie, Sebastian, David, Roger, Kathleen, Bailey, Andrew, Gilbert, and William Howard Taft. Oh.